0: All right, welcome everybody to episode 24 of Derek's Discussions here with Jacob Irons, who we just met this summer. He was with the Mystic Schooners, uh, summer baseball in the NECBL. We did some broadcasts together, so hopefully you were able to watch those. But just starting off, starting us off, Jacob, how are you doing today?
1: I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I know I was tired. Ta- I pushed off a couple text messages later on down the semester, but I'm happy we finally got it we're able to sit down in December to try and finally
0: get this episode together. And you know, you're at Nerd Aim. So first of all, you're doing a lot of broadcasting there. So what what is the experience like of broadcasting at Nerd AIM, such an established, you know, program?
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome and just Week in and week out, I get to work with some great individuals on both the student media side and then the professional media side. So at Notre Dame, I run our sports department within our sports television station. And then on the professional side, I work with our athletic department as a broadcaster. I was the primary broadcaster this past semester for volleyball. So all of our volleyball games that took place at home on ESPN plus I was a broadcaster for and then in the spring I will most likely be on the softball broadcast and then I dip my toe in all the other sports that are going on as normally I fill in for this past I filled in for men's and women's soccer as well and then in the spring I'll fill in for both men's and women's lacrosse and then baseball at the same time so it's really awesome and then the classes are just as nice you get to learn a little bit more of the scholarly academic side because I'm a television major and that's what I, that's what the University of Notre Dame offers. So I get to learn a little bit more about television, fictional television, as well as live television. So really it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that you get to work at a place that has, like you said, Derek, a name brand recognition of Notre Dame and that you get to do that day in and day out. So it's really cool to have that ability. And I, I genuinely love it day in and day out.
0: And what would you say the significance of sports are in your life, you know, knowing that you're going into, you know, sports broadcasting?
1: Sports are huge. It's been a huge part of my life. How I got into sports broadcasting was I was, I'm a brother. My sister is younger than me, but she got every athletic gene my family had. I, I wish I had, I got a little bit of something, but so from a very young age, I always found myself sitting on and watching my sister go oh my God, Did you just see the play Hannah just made? Yes, I did. I saw it in my backyard before she was, she was practicing it. Now she's making it in the games. So then I was somewhat bored of just sitting there watching my sister play. So then I picked up a microphone and started doing public address. And then for public address, I started broadcasting. And so sports have played a huge part of my life just because I played sports rec all the way through high, all the way through high school. I was a runner in high school. And then Uh, a golfer my senior year so I've sports have been a huge part of my life and then even with Christmas coming up my family we don't do the whole board game thing we go outside even if it's two degrees we're gonna go play wiffle ball we're gonna go play football we're gonna go play soccer we're gonna go play basketball like sports are a huge part of my life with just every ounce of it like my mom hates it but my mom comes in and we always have sports on television as well. So sports have been a huge part of my life, not just how I found my career path with my sister in that softball game, but still continuously down the road at family gatherings and part literally what I do now, uh hopefully looking to do later on down the road.
0: And then like when watching, like when starting up broadcasting, what did you watch for in just a sports broadcast, were you watching for like? What do you look? What's your mindset? Are you looking for the broadcast? Are you looking for you know graphics, the score bug, the actual broadcasting? Like, what are you looking for when just watching a regular game of a of a sporting event? See, this
1: is hilarious because this is the fight me and my roommate get into all the time because I don't allow him to watch sports like sports. So, as a sports broadcaster, and I work a bunch of games production side, so normally. I'm a scorebug operator for our ESPN affiliated broadcasts as well, if I'm not broadcasting them. So I'll be doing that. And I'm always huge. I love watching the scorebug. I wanna see your pops, I wanna see the information that the scorebug is providing us. And then I also know when a replay should come. So I look at, not just watch it. I don't watch the game per se, but I watch the production of it day in and day out. So I notice if your headset's not on their left side when you're turned and you got to make sure that you have that conversation and your headset microphones on the opposite side, I watch for that. So really when I watch sports and my family and all my friends hate it because I've taught them so much. And I like to pride myself when they say, Jake, did you see the score bug? And they'll text me, Jake, do you see the score bug mess up? And I'm like, I taught you that. I know that because that is how I watch sports. I watch sports. Yes, I watch sports for the two teams battling it out, and I love that. But then I also love – I love sports production. I love it dearly, so I watch for that as well, and normally what I watch for time and time again.
0: Okay, it's – I've never heard someone talk about the production of uh sports broadcasting. I've heard people talk about, like, the announcers and, like, behind the scenes of, like – certain stuff behind the scenes of like, Oh, this person has to do this. Mm -hmm. This person has to do that, but never talked about had ever, ever someone talk about the score bug or, or the replays. I actually got to start to look at that more. Um, It's interesting that you came up with that, but you know, when you do your broadcast, how, what is the most important thing for you as a broadcaster?
1: My most important thing is having a relationship with the guy sitting next to me. I think when I have a broadcaster and I have a broadcast partner, and as as you might know, as many of us know, we're not always fortunate to have a broadcast partner, but nine times out of 10, we probably do. So when you have the guy sitting next to you, I always like to say, when you have a good chemistry with the guy sitting next to you and he knows where you're going to go and where you know he likes to talk about or what she likes to talk about, that makes it 10 times easier to have a natural conversation on air. I believe it wholeheartedly. I love... The guy I did volleyball with, I did all my volleyball games with my man, JJ Post. Great guy. Love him to death. But I always know he loves talking about the ace. He loves talking about serving the volleyball more than anything else in the entire world. So if I saw a good ace, I knew I was teeing it up for him and he was going to go talk about it. And then another thing is I worked a basketball game on television side and I talked to my like, talked with my guy and he said, ah, and Thanksgiving was coming up. I love Thanksgiving food. So then in the middle of the broadcast, we start talking Thanksgiving food. So if you can have that genuine connection and have it know where this, where your partner's sitting next, she wants to talk about and really have a deep connection with them and have a connection. And although we're not always as lucky to have that deep connection, because sometimes you're just thrown together the day in and day out, but finding that connection, finding that little chemistry works. And if. I find that's really vital to having a great broadcast. That's what separates a good broadcast from a great broadcast. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, that's a great, genuine connection right there. They like each other, and they know. Jim knows what Tony wants to talk about, and Tony knows Jim's going to get him there. So he doesn't have to overstep. He can wait back. So I think if you can build that connection with a broadcaster or a broadcast partner, and you can show that on air that there's a little bit of chemistry there, nine times out of ten, you're going to look at a great broadcast.
0: And then let's talk, um, you know, you mentioned teeing up. Obviously, I know what that is as a broadcaster. But for those that don't know necessarily what teeing up means, can you just explain that to our listeners out there?
1: Yeah, so teeing up really is essentially you see something in your broadcast, your color analyst says, hey, I want to talk about this. So I normally lead them in and try and figure it out. So like I gave the example with volleyball that I just finished up covering of a. So I'll normally say, JJ, great ace right there from Macy Alexander, her 15th of the season. What would you see on that one? And just giving him an open lane, basically where he knows I'm not coming in anytime soon, and he knows it's all him. So I always like to consider teeing up is I steer the ship into some open waters, and then I get away from the wheel as quick as possible because he's going to take it, and he's going to start driving the conversation.
0: And then you know, as a play-by-play guy, you know I've talked to many people in the industry, and what they say is the play-by-play guy is a is the point guard because you're basically just talking about yeah. the game, giving it to you know your analyst. How important is it to be the point guard instead of just talking, 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 talking?
1: Oh, it's huge because no one want, no one came to hear hear me talk. I'm a guy that didn't play. I didn't play high school basketball or I didn't play high school football or in this case, I didn't play volleyball. I'm I'm five, six. There's no way I could have, I may have been a libero, but like by no means could I even enter that conversation. So no one came to hear me talk about sports. So as a point guard, my job is not to score. My job is literally to pass the ball to my analyst and get him be able to talk about it because he knows what's going on there. And he provides that extra element that the viewer at home wants because you can go to a game and you can, Cut me out as a play-by-play broadcaster. I'm I'm replaceable at the end of the day. But what my analysts can do for you and allow you to have a better understanding of the game is what you want. And I think that's what makes us as play-by-play broadcasters so crucial because I can give him a strong pass. You give him a weak pass, he he might flop it. But you got to give him a strong pass, and if you can let him go to the basket and score, that's your job. I always say play-by-play broadcasters, we work on assists. We don't work on points.
0: You're right on target, you know, just talking about how you handle having, you know, that extra analyst, but does it ever worry you, you know, with your analyst that you aren't, that you are the point guard, that you're not the one scoring, that you have to be the guy who is giving the analyst the kind of the, the spotlight, like at some point, don't you feel like you want the spotlight or is it just like, Hey, that's the way it is. I kind of like, you know, being that guy who's just helping help quote-unquote, helping the other guy, you know, get to a uh, deeper knowledge for the audience. So
1: I always like to say the where the play-by-play guy can shine is from the opening minute to the broadcast to the opening whatever of the game. That is when your broadcaster who has extreme television knowledge, who has done this, who has studied this, that is when his moment to shine is. It's from when you open and say, we welcome you to Notre Dame, and you give the spiel on Virginia Tech team taking on a Notre Dame team. This is the future of the ACC volleyball. That's when the play-by-play guy is meant to shine. That is his understanding, and that's when he can come in and shine. Rest of the game, that's all the analysts, man. That's all them. So I wouldn't say it scares me, and I think everyone has their moments for play-by-play broadcasters where our open is our – that's our moment, man. That's when we hit that that jump back three, and we can hit it, or we can basically brick it off and have an air ball. So I think personally – at the end of the day, I love I love being a play-by-play broadcaster for the sheer fact of I, I wasn't a big scorer when I played rec basketball, too small, normally got it swatted, but I loved giving a crisp assist. So I think really that's what I like about being a play-by-play broadcaster because don't get me wrong, if I screw up, people know I screw up. But if I don't mess up and I just keep going, no one has a comment on me. So I, I like the fact that I get to allow someone else to shine. At the same time, there is there is like i said that 2 minute window when you open a broadcast that the play by play broadcaster gets to show a little bit of himself
0: and then you talk about doing like multiple broadcasts of different sports do you ever find an issue obviously you talk about the connection between you and your your analyst but do you ever have a problem where your analyst is talking like you say about the ace and then guess what there's a big play a momentum play in that volleyball match where that's your call and he was still talking about that. Do you ever have that happen? And then what is your reaction to that?
1: Oh man, that happens all the time. Like come on. My play by my color analyst, he he's a talker. I love him to death. I love that man with all my heart, but he loves to talk. So definitely there was moments early on we had we had a we Notre Dame hosted an invitational with four teams. So we had two broadcasts a day from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And that's where we worked it out. And I and I swear that if we didn't have those, I don't know how many games that two, so six games, if we didn't have those six games at one opening weekend, I think we'd be in a very different spot. It's because we worked so many games in that short amount of time that he figured out, Hey, I need to get out of here for Jake. And I think that's where it was. It was our testing ground. And it definitely, sometimes you're like, Oh, why did he come in there? But then you also realize he's trying to do his job too. And I have a job to do. So it's definitely, and I've, I've never had it happen twice. And I always think that's always the best thing because I think both of us, both myself and then whoever I'm working with is learning. We're trying we're trying to get better. We're student broadcasters. By no means are we professionals yet, but we're learning and we're trying to figure out how to better suit each other. So I definitely say there's been times. There's no way around it. As a broadcaster, both a color analyst and a play-by-play guy, you're developing and you're trying to figure out how to when you need to get out of there. And then part of that also is probably me because I probably teed them up late or I got to them late and I probably should have laid out quicker so that I could have gotten in there. But I think at the end of the day, it's just understanding and having an understanding of it's going to happen and you just got to move on and keep moving forward and don't let it tread in your water. But I definitely say if you can try and work it out before, uh, before you really get into conference play. I always say that's a, that's a key to
0: success. And then talk to me a little bit about the analyst connection, you know, in different sports, How would you say, you know, your connection, obviously it could be the same analyst for multiple sports based on, you know, we're still in college, but when talking about just normal broadcast, how is it different from an analyst? You know, you just say you do volleyball, you say you do football. What's the difference between doing a volleyball game and a football game from a perspective of the communication factor between you and your analyst?
1: Yeah. So for volleyball, both of us, he played high school volleyball and I personally before college i didn't really know too much about volleyball i studied up i i had to read the ncaa rule book cover to cover for volleyball so definitely i think that's why i have a stronger connection with my volleyball broadcaster nine times out of ten because i'm relying on him he knows a whole lot more about volleyball not saying i'm not knowledgeable and i've grown a lot in my volleyball knowledge and i understand all the different terms and like i've gotten there but he knows the nitty-gritty that i don't know so i think definitely in comparison to football, where I know a lot about football. That is what I cover day in and day out with Notre Dame football. I'm one of the, or one of our student medias beat writers for, for Notre Dame football. So I know college football and know football really well. So it's less about that, but I always like to say at the level of connection should still be there. Like I did a student broadcast for WVFI and I worked with a color guy And he was great. And we had that connection again. He knew because we flew together from South Bend to Syracuse to cover Notre Dame's trip up to central New York. And we talked that entire plane ride together, sat next to each other for our three hours on a plane together saying, Hey, what do you want to talk here? Like, what do you want in the open? And I think really just not everyone has that gift, but I really do say, I think it's different in the fact that in football, whole so many more people understand football more in depth than some of these other sports that rightfully should get more airtime like I'm talking about volleyball this is an electric game that everyone should go watch I fell in love with the game my family fell in love with the game I love volleyball and just with the national championship for the college level just this past weekend I don't understand why people don't watch it more but I think having that extra analyst that knows a little bit more you rely on them a little bit more and you have that Uh, understanding and have a better connection because you know what they want to talk about a little bit more than what you would say a football guy
0: wants to talk about. Would you say um, that since you know more about a particular sport that you would talk that you as a play-by-play announcer, broadcaster, whatever you want to call it would talk more because you know more about it or do you still try to lean towards have the analyst have his time?
1: Oh, I'm a hundred percent on have the analyst have his time. I am my job as the play-by-play broadcaster That's the role I'm in for that broadcast is my job is just to play that point guard position. Tell them who scored the touchdown or who made the throw or who was in on the tackle. But my job is not to analyze. Oh, Maris Leofield bouncing off this tackle, working in on the backside does a great job to split the a gap. That's not what my job is. My job is to tell you Maris found made the sack and now we're moving on from it. So that's, I always like to say, even though I know a lot more, it allows me to tee up my broadcast partner a hundred times better. That's what I've always found. If I know the sport a little bit better and that's what I found working volleyball this fall as well. Once I got to know volleyball really well and watched a lot of matches of volleyball, I found out a way how to team up better. So I think that's where it is, but it's definitely, I don't find myself talking more about it. I would just say, I find a way to better tee up my broadcast partner because I know it a little bit better.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned about the Leo Fowle, uh, situation. You have your analysts give, you know, more direct details of, you know, splitting through the uh, offensive line. That kind of helps the conversation a little bit more. Um, what would you say is your favorite call so far in your broadcast in your early broadcasting career?
1: My early, bro- I think it was this, the, yeah, the Friday before going off back home to uh, Thanksgiving break, I had the opportunity to call Notre Dame men's basketball against Lipscomb on ESPN Plus, my broadcast, my team over at Notre Dame Athletics, entrusted me with the broadcast. And uh, everyone thought it was going to be a, a wash away game. Uh, but, however, it turned out that Lipscomb hung around. They came out fighting, and Notre Dame won on a buzzer beater from Dane Goodwin, and I, and I love that call. I really do like it. It's pretty crisp. I get in and get out. And my broadcast partner is right there waiting for me. As soon as I get out of there, he breaks it down. So I really like that first for my mechanics of the broadcast, a short, crisp, he got it. Notre Dame, Nathan Goodwin having the game of his life, and it's only fitting he got it. And then my analyst comes in. So I really do like that broadcast call for the mechanics as well as just how everything flowed together in that moment.
0: And then last question for part one. What is one thing you want people to know about you that take take from this uh episode and learn about you?
1: I I love I love broadcasting I love broadcasting but I also don't just love talking about broadcasting and I don't love just the play by play aspect I love every ounce as you saw in like my scorebug interview I love the production side for Notre Dame for Notre Dame football Saturdays I work for NBC as a director spotter telling. All the guys in the truck. Who? What's going on on the field? So I fell in love with the production side of sports just as much as I fell in love with talking about the sports for the viewers because they're doing visual. The visual element is such a huge part of the broadcast. Yet many people don't give it as much allure. That director and producer are doing so much in the truck that I found out that I love. I love it dearly, and I think what I hope everyone takes away is that what they're doing in the truck is just as valuable what people are doing in the booth because they're providing that visual element that makes television a television broadcast very different than a radio broadcast and allows the stories to be told with a visual element to it
0: all right now we're gonna get started nerd aim football you talk about this season uh this season seems like it's interesting I wouldn't (laughs) say it's a disappointing season I wouldn't say it's a good season I'd say it's a Solid start to Marcus Freeman's career as a Notre Dame football coach, being it his it, being it his first, you know, season. You start out, you lose to Ohio State. That was a good game. You talk about the game being twenty-one to ten. Yeah. Um. The only thing that the reason Notre kind of lost that game, I guess you'd say, is the offensive line was not very good. Tyler Buckner was running for his life. Um. He showed his ability as a runner. His passing ability kind of slugged a little bit. And then they go against Marshall, and they lose that one. That's obviously a tough loss. Um, defense didn't play well. Offense didn't really get anything going as a as a passing attack. You look down the schedule, they won a, a few games, and then they play Stanford. You lose to Stanford. Um, Stanford's a bad loss, but you also have to look at it from a perspective of that's a rivalry game. Some of those rivalry games are a lot tougher than one would expect. Yeah. Uh, You win a few games. The It was a big, kind of an interesting win against Syracuse, as some people thought. Notre Dame's not there. They can lose to Syracuse. Syracuse was ranked uh number 16th in the nation at that time. They ended up going into Central New York and win that football game in a in pretty handily fashion, win by 17. Then they come back to South Bend, Indiana. They beat Clemson, and then everybody's starting to say, Freeman's back. Uh NerdAim is starting to be on the map uh first time in a few years that NerdAim has beaten a top 5 opponent in a while under the Brian Kelly era. They weren't able to really establish themselves as beating beating a top 5 team. Play a close one against Navy. Uh that Navy matchup was very interesting. They kind of took away in the first half and then they slipped in the second half. Beat BC pretty handily. And then that USC game. I looked at I watched that USC game and what I saw is Notre Dame kind of didn't get what they wanted um from a perspective of there is a lot of penalties that were not called um Caleb Man- uh Caleb Williams excuse me kind of had the de- game of his life just running for his life and defense couldn't really do anything and now they got to play South Carolina on December 30th first of all how would you view this Notre Dame season as as a whole
1: I think You talked about it. It's a learning season. We had a guy that never had a head coaching job come into one of the most premier coaching positions in college football. So we knew there was going to be rough patches. We knew it. Like that's when you, when you take a first time head coach, especially at Notre Dame, I I think everyone knew that Marcus Freeman's good. He's a strong recruiter. He had all that behind him. He's a great coach, but there's going to be first time head coaching woes and a first time of everything. And I think early on in this season, We were happy. You were happy leaving Ohio State. You were. You thought this is a team, although we're going to drop in the rankings here a little bit, this is a team that is really going to be strong. They're going to be good. But then Marshall disproved all of that by realizing, damn, we're not as good as we thought because we allowed Marshall a pay-for game to come in and beat us on our home field. So I think there was a lot of learning early on. And then you have the Cal game. So the Notre Dame starts picking up. Then you have North Carolina, then you have BYU, and then you lose to Stanford again, another loss that you just sit there and you're like, you only allow, you only put up 14 points. And that's just really where I think the offense has been struggling. The offense has been stagnant at times. And that's where you can't win a college football game. If you're only going to score a limited number of points. And I think, that's where Notre Dame saw their problem. And then you saw UNLV, a great comeback game, where they were able to kick some butt. And I think then you go to Syracuse against a team at the time that was considered maybe one of the best in the – they were top 25, and Mm -hmm. I went to go see that game, and you realize, what have we been doing all year? We could just run the ball down someone's throat, and they can't stop you. And I saw it firsthand, because Syracuse, we hadn't really passed all that much. Drew Pine was – great he stood in the pocket made those third down throws when he needed to but really first and second down was a halfback run either to the short side of the field or the far side and not really doing all that much so I think that really keyed up for the success then you see it in in Clemson because they built on that success in Syracuse and then you go to the Navy and then your offense looks like oh my god this is the offense we've been waiting for under Drew Pine and Tommy Reese but then you have your defense fall behind in the second half and then you don't have your offense to be able to there to pick it up. So I think all in all, and then you have Boston college with a just a an obliterating in South bend under that snow game. If you anyone ever watched to watch that game, that game is so cool to watch. My family was there. I was there in attendance. It is so cool how in about five minutes, the game goes from being a normal game to being an absolute blizzard and that's Midwest weather for you in about five seconds that it can change and you can get snow, but that game's really cool. But then really this upcoming game after, once you get by the South Carolina loss, because like you said, I don't, the South Carolina loss, I call as a push. Caleb Williams had the game of his life and showed why he was the Heisman winner? That that's what it was. He ran for his life, and we couldn't tackle him. That's what it was. So I think this year overall is a learning year. But now I think this is this is the final exam. As both of us are college students, this South Carolina game against the Gator Bowl is the final exam. How much did Notre Dame learn? How much did Notre Dame learn? And how much did Marcus Freeman learn as well? Against a top South Carolina team that has momentum, they beat they beat Clemson too, but they beat them hell of a lot more than us they put a smacking down to them so now how much can two teams that have beat a common opponent be able to figure this out so for marcus freeman and notre dame this is the final exam can the offense which doesn't have drew pine but now has tyler buckner back how does the offense look then how do you have a defense and how do they look and i think this game if notre dame can find a way to play for all four quarters that's what Notre Dame needs. They need to play for all four quarters. I think it will be really interesting. I'm really excited to see how we, how we score in this final exam because I think at the end of the year, this was a learning season for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman. You get two you get two learning seasons at Notre Dame and then people start questioning. So I think let's see how they do. Overall, I thought it was a strong year. It was a good year. You beat, You beat some top teams and you destroyed their seasons and playoff hopes. But at the end of the day, I think it's a learning season and they're still trying to figure themselves out
0: it's funny you talk about saying that it's a learning season yet. Notre Dame is eight and four and they're ranked in the top 25, but that's just because it's Notre Um, I think yeah. you mentioned the offense and running the football late. It was all about the offensive line. Uh, early yes. on, you talk about Tyler Buckner running for his life. That's, that's that's bad offensive line play. Then you Correct. talk about the Clemson-Syracuse game. The offensive line starts to get bad. Their offense and defense is going to look completely different for the South South Carolina game. Michael Mayer's out. Alt, I'm not sure if he's playing or not with him transferring yeah. to UCLA. I would doubt that he would play. I would um, doubt it as well. And I, Isaiah Foskey is also not playing. You're talking about huge pieces um, mm-hmm. for Notre Dame this season. I'm more interested to see how they handle South Carolina. You're talking about Shane Bieber. Personally, I think this was he, he should be in the running for SEC Coach of the Year. You're talking about beating Tennessee with Hendon, when Tennessee had Hendon, Hendon Hooker. You're talking about beating Clemson. And let's be honest, both those games that they played, I believe that they beat the, both teams pretty handily. Um, yeah. It seemed like South Carolina is now at the right time. At the right time of winning football games, yeah, you know you look at this and they beat Tennessee sixty-three to thirty-eight, and then uh, beat Clemson thirty-one to thirty, which it seemed like they were handling that game pretty well. Um, but this Notre Dame team, it's gonna be a question mark at the quarterback position. Um, Tyler Buckner is back. There's also talk Steve Angeli will play in this game. Interesting to see how that offensive line is. Um, Jarrett Patterson was the center move to guard this season. We'll see what happens, uh, offensive line at the end of the day, this game is going to depend on the offensive line. And when you talk about the Notre Dame struggles offensively, it's not because necessarily the quarterback is bad. The quarterback is good, but to win a lot of football games, you need a quarterback that's elite. Nerd Dame doesn't have that. You're talking about receivers like Lorenzo Styles, Brandon Lindsey, guys that are solid receivers, but you don't have that guy. Pretty much the Nerd Dame offense this entire year was run the ball and throw it to 87, 87 being Michael Mayer. And Michael Mayer, I look at this, and I think he might be the one of the best tight ends that I've seen from Nerd Dame. That's including Tyler Eifert. That's including – uh, Derek. Uh, Smythe. That's including all so many tight ends that have come through the Notre Dame program, and Michael Mayer. To me, the most underrated thing about Michael Mayer is his blocking ability. You're talking oh, about 100%. a guy that can catch the foot, catch the catch the football like a wide receiver. You can put him in the slot. You can put him wherever you want on the field. And honestly. If you're talking about what Nerdame hasn't done with Michael Mayer, the only thing that they haven't done is had him run the football. And I think even if you had him do that, he still would be getting plenty of yards. I think he's the entire package. Foskey, I'm a little um I'm a little um concerned. The only thing is I'm a little worrisome why did he enter the draft? I think he's gonna be a late first round pick if he played in the South Carolina game and had a huge game, which I think he probably would. I think his draft status might have gone up a little bit, but it is what it is. I'm more looking forward to seeing, is Brennan Joseph going to play in this game? Number one, he's been battling injuries all season. Uh, number two, is he going to be staying for another year? And number three is, you talk about this recruiting class for Notre Dame coming in, and it's, it's pretty heavy, but there's been a lot of guys who have decommitted over the last couple of weeks. Nerd Aim is in a good spot right now, but you talk about learning season. I wouldn't say it's a I would say it's a learning experience for Freeman, but I wouldn't say it's a learning, you know, season based on the fact you look at all these players leaving. You would have thought Notre should have done a little bit better. It probably should have beat Marshall um, and probably should have beat Stanford. You're talking about having two losses. Would they be in the college football playoff? Probably not, but if you're talking about two losses playing in that uh south carolina um, Southern California game, I think nerd Dame probably could have won that football game if a, a little a couple of things went their way, and then the question would be if the nerd if Nerdame Dame is in the playoff drew would they be in the playoff number one, knowing what's going on are they better than you know t c u are they better than uh who's the four seed Uh, Ohio State. That would be. They probably would not be in because Ohio State beat Notre Dame. But you never know. Uh, I don't know. Notre Dame has a lot of good pieces this season. Um, it seemed like at times it wasn't executed properly. But the biggest thing for Marcus Freeman is number one, he's got his first win as a head coach against Cal. Number two, he showed the ability to play Ohio State, uh, Clemson, USC, big games. To Syracuse to a lesser extent and been able to win those games, so I think that's a good yes. takeaway from from Marcus Freeman. I just want to know your thoughts on those players, you know, and then Mayor Foskey, uh, not playing in the bowl game as well as Pine, who transferred to Arizona State.
1: I think it's just what college football has become at the end of the day. College football, it really is. You can't blame Michael. Mayor for leaving no. Notre Dame he did everything you have every record you have every record as a tight end can get at Notre Dame and some are, and Mel Kuyper is calling him maybe the safest draft pick this year because you know you're going to get a solid guy you're going to get a solid football player out of the draft so I don't see any reason why you don't leave for Foskey I think the same thing for him he has a sack record at Notre Dame now what else do you want to do from and I think I think Foskey understands that so I get that entirely and completely and i think both those guys i get entirely and then you also add in drew pine to the conversation which was interesting that one w- took me a little bit by surprise because where 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 does drew pine go because that was the that was the big question where do you go once you leave notre dame for drew pine who was by all means a good quarterback isn't a great he wasn't a great quarterback this season but he had a great qbr throughout the year and like he found himself ways to win. Like we're talking about those games. We're talking about a Syracuse game and a Clemson game. That was all him. There was no other quarterback that came in those games. That was all drew pine. So I think at the end of the day, you have to look and say the guy had stock and he didn't want to sit around. He got the taste of what it was to be the starter. Like when Marcus Freeman said, Hey, we're going to go look in the portal for a quarterback. And you have Tyler Buckner who Marcus Freeman has come out during press conferences. Once he's ready, we're going with Buckner over Pine. So Pine got the taste. He got the taste. He felt it. He understood the big man's swagger of being the starting quarterback at an institution, and I think he wanted to keep that. And where he landed at Arizona State, I think it's going to be awesome. I think I wish nothing but the best for Drew, and I think he realized that he wanted to keep being a starter, and I think he found a place that allows him to battle it out a little bit more, but... I think it's interesting, and then the transfer portals become, like I just said, the transfer portal is going to have to play a huge factor for Notre Dame in this upcoming season, especially at the quarterback position while we wait a little bit for development of some of our younger guys because you need an elite quarterback. To be an elite team, you need to have an elite quarterback. That's how this game works, and we have elite running backs. We have a a strong offensive line, and I think at this point you just got to find a way – to put those pieces together, and I think the way to put those pieces together as we wait for the all the signees to come up as we are filming this on uh, National Signing Day and Notre Dame's doing a great job of getting out there and recruiting, they've done a phenomenal job of it. I think at this time you need to go look at the transfer portal. It's how college football is going to be played for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think first to start off, I think what you've seen from Pine this entire season is Pine has proven that he's a winner. He's going to win games. He's yes. not a he's not a 100%. great quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but he'll do whatever it takes to win. That's a good thing yes. on Pine. He did that in high school at New Canaan, Connecticut. He's a proven winner. He's not elite by any stretch of the imagination. So he'll go to Arizona State. Arizona State has been bad for a couple of years. I think he'll turn them into a bowl game team around – a fringe bowl mm-hmm. game team a little bit better. So good for him. Now talking transfer portal. Uh, Devin O'Leary goes to Kentucky. Um, people were surprised. People weren't surprised. I was so-so. I was reading reports he was going to Kentucky, so I wasn't surprised. I was earlier, but not so much now. Graham Mertz goes to Florida. So those are two quarterbacks off the board. Um, the Oklahoma backup quarterback, Nick Ewers, is going to um, uh, Wisconsin which is kind of not a surprise, but kind of a surprise at the same time because nobody really expected what he was going to do. But if you're a nerd aim right now, quarterbacks you would be looking at, I think DJ Uyungole there was talky, go to UCLA. UCLA got the Kent State guy. He wants to go to the West Coast, I would say. Arizona State is is got their quarterback in Pine. I don't know where he's going. Um, if you're talking West Coast, it seems like those teams are filled up. I'm not sure if Penix is staying another year or not at Washington. That could be a spot for him. If not, Notre Dame could try to get Uyungle. I wouldn't be in favor of that. I think he's a good quarterback, but I think he needs to be on the West Coast, closer to his family. Uh, you look at quarterbacks. There's other guys out there. Grayson McCall is a guy. I personally love Grayson McCall um talks where he's probably going to go to Auburn um that's a guy if I'm Notre Dame I would look at you're talking about a grad transfer was that Coastal Carolina I get it that's at Coastal Carolina that's a non-power five but I think he's a very solid quarterback and I think he has a chance to be in the Heisman race at some point in his career he's got mobility but I think at the end of the day, they're looking at Hudson Card, and I think Hudson Card is their guy. The question, though, Hudson Card is starting – rumors are starting to circulate. He could be going to TCU, which would suck for Notre Dame. And you're also talking – was reading this report a couple of days ago. Notre Dame's not going to hit on these quarterback transfers, and they're going to be stuck with either Buckner or getting Keaton Slovis – they tried to get last year and if you saw what Pittsburgh did this year it was abysmal so that's not something that you look out an underrated uh transfer who I personally love I'm a huge Boise State football fan Hank Bachmeyer is a great quarterback I believe in him he was a great quarterback his freshman year he's going to be a grad transfer he's got two years of eligibility talks were that he was going to go to Wisconsin that obviously didn't happen talks were that he would go west coast let's be honest west coast is pretty much filled up right now um if harson finds a job somewhere brian harson the guy who got fired from auburn if he finds a job somewhere i would not be surprised if bachmeyer follows uh he's an interesting target i think if you fall back he's more of a fallback option if you're nerd aim but that's a guy i like i think if he's in the right situation he can be an elite quarterback Uh, The problem with him at Boise is you're talking freshman year. He got beat up. Their offensive line was horrendous. Uh, Now they're kind of moving Boise is to more of a running, running the football type of offense. I get it. That's kind of nerd aim, but when you're running the ball, every single play you can't at Boise non-power five school in the mountain West, you kind of want a more mobile quarterback and Hank is not that guy. He's a pocket passer, but he can throw the ball very well. Those are some of the targets that they're looking at Um, one thing before I'll let you have the floor Peyton Bowen today is national signing day like you mentioned it should be interesting is he gonna flip to go to Oklahoma is he gonna flip to go to Oregon I don't see Oregon I think if he flips he goes to Oklahoma but an interesting thing on him is he might not sign on national uh, signing day for one reason above all he is not sure if Brandon Joseph is going to go to the NFL draft. If Brandon Joseph does go to the NFL draft, I think he's signing with Notre Dame. If Joseph stays, I think he still would play as a as the other safety next to Joseph, but that would be a question mark on that for, for him as well. So a lot of interesting takes on Notre Dame. Just what are your thoughts so far on what Notre Dame could possibly do in all the scenarios that I kind of mentioned? I think Notre
1: Dame
0: – see – what I love about this is because
1: Notre Dame is in a somewhat in a backseat position because Notre Dame is going to get the leftovers. I think at the end of the day, like you just touched upon, like Notre, there's so many guys that Notre Dame was looking at that have now been left that have been taken off the table and taken out of the portal because they're going somewhere else. So I think if you're looking at this, honestly, for a Notre Dame quarterback, which I think that's where you got to go. If we're going we have enough depth that I think we could get by, but you got to go to the portal to try. And if you got to put all your attention on one thing, you got to go get a quarterback because I think Buckner's great, but I think Buckner works like we saw in the 2021 season. Buckner works if you got cone with him. So if you have a guy that can run and then a guy that's a steady passer that can hold in the pocket. Perfect. That works. That does the job. So I think Buckner with somebody, I think that's going to be the key to success. Maybe running. I know people don't like it, people don't like it but running a do a a double quarterback system of we're moving guys in and out for those downs but i think at the end of the day notre dame is going to get left with the leftovers and it's going to be what is the best leftover can we go find the stuffing from thanksgiving that's pretty good leftover that's pretty damn good leftover and i and i love the i love the coastal carolina pickup this is my thought i don't understand why people have a problem problem with going down to the, a group of I don't get it because just because you excel somewhere else doesn't mean you can't excel in the next level I, like this is a conversation I had with my broadcast partner for basketball and I think it applies to college football if you can go get a guy that's lighting up a, a mid-major conference if you can get a guy that's lighting up a mid-major conference why can't why why do you have to go get a power five guy that doesn't have a lot of playing time but if you got a guy that plays the mid-majors played almost every ounce of his eligibility and has that experience, might as well go get them get and bring them to the next level because playing playing cannot be, cannot be replicated. If you can have those in-game scenarios, I think that's really interesting. And I really like that situation of going to a, a group of five. I think, I think at the end of the day, a group of a power five transfer isn't, isn't in Notre Dame's cart. It's going to be a hard it's going to be a hard get for Notre Dame to really sell them on a run first offense as a quarterback. And for a team that doesn't minus Dion Colsey and minus Tobias Merriweather and minus Jaden Thomas, that wide receiver room isn't that deep. There was, you only had a couple, you only had to start the season, only had a couple guys on scholarship. You have Mass Salerno, who's a walk-on who is, who played a huge role this year as a wide receiver. So, Once again, it's going to be a tough sell, but if you can sell it to a group of five quarterback, and I think that's where Notre Dame is going to succeed, I really would like that for Notre Dame because I think if they played a lot in the group of five, I'm not saying take a group of five backup. I'm saying take a group of five guy that understands he's got a strong ability and could go make the leap to the next level. I think Notre Dame's your place.
0: Yeah, I think McCall is a perfect fit just based on the fact that at Coastal Carolina, they don't have the receivers. They also run the football like nerd aim does. I think he's a perfect fit. I think nerd aim, when you're talking about this off season, quarterback, that's obviously a question. Pat Bowen, Peyton Bowen, big question. Is he staying? Is he going? And then just fill pieces. You mentioned wide receiver being kind of stingy at best based on depth. I think at a transfer there, the Northwestern receiver who I personally wanted for nerd aim, he transferred to Illinois. That's a huge loss. Uh, but there's guys you can always figure out guys in the portal and always get get uh get. Obviously, it's national signing day, but there's still another signing day that you guys you can get some more guys. I think that's a huge question mark. But I think Notre Dame's top target is Hudson Card. Um, I think Hudson Card might go to TCU. So then you're looking at fallback options. Kind of, what are you gonna do with a fallback option? Uh, DJ Uyungule could be a fallback option. Um, just based on the fact that he wants to go to the West coast. And I don't know if there's a situation for him. I just want to get your thoughts. Where do you think DJ Uyungle is going to go?
1: I, I was, I would say, a, I would say 95% of me would say he was not coming to Notre Dame. I don't think Notre oh, Dame think so would be either. very happy with that pick by any means, just because of the sheer fact of we beat him twice. So he can't be, I think Notre Dame fans would look at it. He can't be good if we beat him twice with, two guys that were pretty good. I think DJ Uyungle, I think it's sad to say it, but I think he's going to have to drop down. I think he will have to go fill a hole somewhere else. I think a prime spot for him, although it's not on the West Coast, I think he would be great at Boston College. I think that's, an, that's a guy that I think could excel there. We saw Phil Drakovic do it, of just go to Boston College, and then they have an open spot at the current moment. So I think Boston College, although it's a wacky, a wacky transfer. And I think this was me. This is me and my outside the box thinking within college football. I think you would be, wouldn't be bad there. That's a offense. And you look, I, I know it's crazy. And I know you're giving me the look of like, what the hell is this guy saying? But I, I think at the end of the, I think it would be a good spot for him. And I think it stays within the ACC, which I know he doesn't want to do and he wants to go back West and all of this. But like you said, the West is full at the end of the day, you gotta gotta look at where you're going. <laughs> I think, I think DJ Uyunglei. I would like him to go. I think he would be a great fit at Boston College because that's a team that's that's on the rise, and I think with a quarterback they could get somewhere.
0: I I'm kind of just I just don't think the Boston College thing works. Um, yeah. Phil Jerkovic transferred. There's a reason he transferred out of the program. I think they have their quarterback. I'm not sure who it is. Um, I don't know. I think I think Oregon State is a West Coast team. Their quarterback entered the portal. He could go there. I don't know their situation. Um, Coastal Carol, You talk non-Power 5, Coastal Carolina. Uh, I think a fit. I'm not sure who the new coach is at Cincinnati, but I think he could go to Cincinnati. Mm, um, that's a good one. Ohio State is a fit, but I don't think they do it. Um, is a fit, but I don't know if they do it. Like, I think both of those teams could be in the conversation. Also, Alabama to a lesser extent. Those three teams are looking at quarterbacks but they have quarterbacks they already like. Mm-hmm. So he could fit in that role. Um Utah, I'm not sure if Rising is gone or not gone. That I think that's a good fit oh, at that, Utah. if he could
1: if he could find a way to go to Utah, that's that's your place man. That's where you put your roots and DJ's fine because he's tearing up the Pac-12. So once I'm not familiar with the Utah and what's going on there, but if he could find a way to whistle his way into Utah, I think that's where you go.
0: Yeah, Tennessee could be a fit too. Um, there's, there's a lot of fits. I'm just throwing out hypotheticals right now. Um, I just don't see the Boston college. I think, I think that's, I think that team team is around the realm of where he'll go. Like a team that's lower in a conference, a power Mm -hmm. five conference, Minnesota. I don't think he's going to Minnesota. PJ Fleck knows what he's doing there. Um, but I think that's kind of the realm. Uh, let's talk first who are you picking college football playoff real quickly you got georgia you got tcu out there you got michigan and you got uh, ohio state
1: i think this is all about his year i really like michigan i think they're a team that showed against the game in the game against ohio state they can take it down and i think against the tcu team although they're the cinderella team and they're the team of destined i don't think they're going to get it done and then I think they'll be able I think Michigan will be a little too much to handle with Georgia and I and I think Hawbaugh gets his final time to touch the national championship trophy.
0: I think that's fair. Um I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of their quarterback JJ McCarthy. Um yeah, That's that's, Cade, a, that's a fair Cade problem. Cade McNamara. Cade McNamara transferred to Iowa. Both of those quarterbacks to me kind of resemble Aim from a standpoint of they're both good quarterbacks but they're not great. Um, yes. I, I love TCU. I really do. I, I, I don't think, does. I don't think they will win the college football playoff, but I really, I really do think they, I I think they will beat Michigan. Um, I really, really? Do. I think, I think Georgia, Ohio state, I think, well, Smith and Jigba is not playing at a game. That is a huge loss. Mm. You talk about a loss that I would probably go Ohio state, even though I hate Ohio state. Oh yes. But with Smith and the Jacob being out, I think Georgia rolls them. Absolutely rolls Agreed. them. Agreed. You're talking about a team that doesn't have a running back really that good. Their receiver core is good. Don't get me wrong. But there's there's depth. But it's two guys that are elite. They're tight end. They lost Ruckert a couple of years ago. They haven't figured out that situation. The Knowles defense, to me... At Ohio State, he'll be terrible for one half of the game. You saw it when Notre Dame played Ohio- played Oklahoma State uh, in the bowl game; they were terrible for one half of the game, and then they stepped up. So that's not going to happen against Georgia. Not a huge fan of Stetson Bennett. I know that's a hot take, but I think Georgia no, wins. It's a
1: fair, it's a fair, it's a fair argument against Stetson Bennett.
0: I don't like any of these quarterbacks except for C.J. Stroud. Uh, personally, I think Max Duggan is a Baker Mayfield, if you want to say that, a college quarterback yeah. who's elite but not going to be good in pros. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll say Georgia, but I really it's want fair. TCU. I really do want TCU. I'm sick and tired of having these teams that win every single year. Oh, agreed. 100%. And this new college football playoff format, I also don't like. Um, I think it's too many teams, but hey, maybe that Coastal Carolina, that Cincinnati, that Tulane team could make a run. And if my team is not in it, my college football teams are not in the in this uh new college football playoff format that's not coming next year, but the year after that. I am rooting for the non-Power 5 school to win every single year, unless if my team is in there. I'm rooting for that non-Power 5 to win it all. That's a great story. It's unbelievable for college football. And... Tulane, USC, Caleb Williams might not play that game. So Tulane has a very good shot of winning that football game, if that is the case.
1: Agreed. I I love that game. I think that's going to be a great game that everyone should circle. That's a a New Year's Six Bowl that I will be watching from kickoff to the final seconds ticking off the clock because I think that's a sneaky good game because people rule off Tulane because they're in the American. Nah, man, the American has shown out and I think it's going to be a good game.
0: Yeah, I think it I think it's going to depend. If Williams is fully healthy,
1: I'm not <laughs> sure how much
0: of a game it's going to be, but like I would say if Williams is healthy, it's probably going to be 45-27. Um if Williams isn't healthy, I'm saying like 33-13 around there because I don't okay. think USC has a good backup. Uh, I love I love college football. Um I think it's one of the greatest sports um in general i think they're trying to get more games and trying to get more revenue which i don't personally love but you know it should be interesting also you know breaking news happened a couple days ago uh charlie baker former governor of massachusetts taking over the ncaa that's fantastic uh mike what's his name emmert yes uh he was a disaster he didn't he was just not very good Um, pretty much. He didn't know how to handle NIL. He just, he didn't know how to handle situations and thank God he's moving on. We got a new guy coming in and Charlie Baker, interesting move there, but we'll see what happens. Um, there. All right. Now we're going to talk NFL. Uh, let's first actually start with sleeper picks. I'll go with mine. Um, first AFC, NFC, AFC, I'll go sleeper picks. I'll go Jacksonville Jaguars um interesting make, as a sleeper pick meaning that they will go make the playoffs not as a sleeper pick to make the play, okay. to make the super bowl um on the NFC side I'd love to say the New York Football Giants but that's just not happening I'm worried they might not make the playoffs I'll actually go with the uh Detroit Lions and I think the Detroit Lions could make a run in the playoffs I'm not saying they're going to the super bowl but I think they could make a run in the playoffs What are your uh two sleepers AFC and NFC All
1: right sleeper on the NFC side I am a huge Dan Campbell fan. I am a huge Detroit Lions fan. They have suffered long enough, especially coming from the Midwest where a lot of people are from uh, the Michigan area. So I'm a big fan. I think Detroit is going to make the playoffs. They're going to find a way to get in there. I like him. There's a good sleeper. However, I think a team that is starting to find themselves a little bit. I like, I think the Dolphins, although some people might, not like him because of the – I think the Dolphins will find a way to get in there as well. And I think they'll they'll wreak a little havoc as well. And I don't think they're, – they're not as sleeper as your Jaguars pick, but I think the Dolphins are a decent enough sleeper that they'll find a way to get in. Then my other – I'm going to stay in the AFC East, and then my other guy would be maybe the Pats, but the Pats just played – I would have said the Pats before last weekend, but then the Pats just absolutely gave it away to the Raiders in a tough <laughs> one. So I, I got to go Dolphins, and then I'm going to go Dolphins, Lions, or my two at the current moment. But Dolphins is a, is a decently safe pick.
0: Yeah, I would say if you want to say Dolphins as your sleeper, it would be Dolphins as a sleeper to make a run. That's kind yeah. of what I alluded to with the Lions. I don't think it Lions as a sleeper to make the playoffs. I think to make a run. I'm yeah. worried. As a Giants fan, I'm worried about the Lions and the Seahawks. And thank God we won against the Commanders. That is huge. I think if we win two games, which is quite possible, uh, Vikings will probably lose. But who knows about uh, Kirk Cousins? They could lose. They've been a little bit lackish the last couple weeks. Colts at home should win that game. If we don't, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And Philadelphia Eagles week 18, most likely I'm hearing reports they could be starting Ian Book. As their starter, however, however, though, Jalen Hurts is hurt. So that could change. They could just get a practice squad guy or have Minshew play just in case uh, uh, Hurts is still hurt to get him ready for the playoffs. All right. Moving on from the sleeper picks. Let's go Super Bowl picks. When I talk about picks, I probably changed my picks, sleeper, sleeper picks and Super Bowl picks probably about 25 times um on episodes but whatever it is AFC Super Bowl uh, AFC everybody says there's two teams out there I know you're not going to like this but the Bills and the Chiefs are the two teams that everybody says for the AFC yep. um uh, I'll go Bills I like the Bills I've seen mm-hmm. the Bills the last couple of weeks uh NFC Hurts being hurt I think eliminates the Eagles for me cuz I don't like an uncertainty um 49ers Debo Samuel is hurt how who knows how long he's going to be I would have said the 49ers I've had it have said the 49ers I believe in Brock Purdy he is the guy I think he could be Jimmy Garoppolo in the future but I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings just because I don't believe in the Eagles because of hurts and the situation with Debo Samuel hurt at, at San Francisco is a question mark And let's be honest, the Dallas Cowboys choke every single season. So I think that's honestly might be the the Super Bowl. Minnesota Vikings, Buffalo Bills, and I got the Buffalo Bills to win that one. All right. For me,
1: I agree. I think there's two teams out of the AFC at the current moment in your Bills and the Chiefs. However, I think my Bengals team, they're showing. I'm a big Bengals fan. I think they're showing enough at the current moment. They if they can find it and they can get hot, they're going to make it again. I don't know if I would I'm not going to pick them to win the Super Bowl, but they're going to make the Super Bowl again, especially with a strong 10 and 4 start. They got a decent David not a weak schedule down the road, but they have a mediocre schedule down the road. So I would say Bengals are going to go to the Super Bowl. That's my pick. I know it's a little unconventional. However, I got the Vikings winning it all in dramatic Kirk Cousins fashion. I think this team showed me that they can play, especially coming back and getting the NFL's largest come from behind victory over the Colts this past weekend. The Colts in the first half looked like they, they could have been a team that could have been a sleeper pick as well, but then they found a way to lose that game. So I like the Vikings. I like my Bengals, but Vikings getting it done. I'm loving that energy up there in Minnesota at the current moment.
0: Yeah, I still have concerns about Minnesota though. I mean, you lose to Detroit, which don't get me wrong, Detroit's <laughs> heading in the right direction, but it is still Detroit and you barely beat the Colts. I mean, the Colts are terrible. I mean, they're and <laughs> they're coached by a guy that isn't even a coach. Yeah, and, I mean, I think he actually is a decent coach because once he got into that building, they've actually established themselves as yes, as competitive. Um, But I don't I don't know. Like, they seem to up and down. I don't like any teams right now in the NFL, if I'm being I honest. Agree. In the NFC, at least. The NFL it just seems weird. But New York Giants, let's go, baby. Come on. T- we need twins <laughs> out of the last three, and we'll be in the playoffs. I think – I'm not saying we're going to make a run because that's just <laughs> – that's outlandish we'll probably get out in the first round but i'd like 10 wins if you were to tell me that the new york giants were eight five and one or had eight wins on the season i'd say that's i'm perfectly fine with that and they are that now we're gonna move over to quickly over to mlb surprising news happened last night um last night meaning december 20th Carlos Correa's press conference got pushed back for the San Francisco Giants because of a what was the injury again back injury, yeah, back injury reports surfaced saying, okay we're we gotta check the medicals, look that over, maybe switch a contract a little bit, and we're like, okay, so they'll probably figure it out, you know, no big, no big deal uh it was thirteen for three sixty five I believe then this morning. Someone texted me, 3.45 in the morning, uh, Carlos Correa is going to be a New York Met. 12 years, $315 million. Uh, Correa now is going to be playing third base, most likely, for the New York Mets instead of shortstop, which he would have been playing for the San Francisco Giants. Question there will be uh, the, the prospects the Mets have at third base. Who knows? Brett Beatty. That's a, that's a big guy. I, I'm a huge fan of Brett Beatty, but he'll probably get traded. Mark Vientos probably will get traded. Uh, Look look for the Mets to make uh huge moves coming up. Francisco Alvarez is a catcher. Could be traded as well, just based on the fact that they have three catchers. James McCann's another guy who could get ch- ch- uh, traded as well. A lot of moves could happen for the Mets. What are your thoughts, Correa, going to the Mets?
1: There's an owner that just shows time and time again. He's willing to put the money where his mouth is, man. Like this, Steve Cohen, I don't know what it is, but that guy lives and dies. He is fine dishing out some cash to make his team go play well. And I think right now, after seeing the Correa pickup, and I think it's a great pickup, it's – Cohen said it himself, we need one more – we needed one more hitter. We need one strong more hitter to make ourselves in contention, but – I think you're now in a situation if you're the Mets, your World Series are bust. You got to go get a World Series with this team in the next couple of years because I'm not saying this upcoming season, but when you got all these guys that you're dishing out some hardcore cash for, that you're going over that tax for, you got to go get something. So I think it's an interesting move. It's a team that once again shows you that they're coming out. They want to go be a dominant team in New York. They really do. And I think they got an owner that's willing to put as much money behind it as possible. But I think in the next couple of years, they got to show a little bit more progress than what they had this past season. And I think they got to go try and find a way because they got the guys and they got the talent to now say, all right, we've got everybody here. We now just got to go put it together to go get to the world series.
0: Yeah. I would say the reason it's when now mode is it's not the hitting because the hitting oh, no. has, has years and they're still not young, but they're still, you know, in their uh, prime years. Yeah. the Pitching Verlander Scherzer. I think you look at we talk about trades, Brett Brady, uh, Francisco Alvaros, Mark Vientos and other guys as well. I think they could get another starter Um, guy could be on the block. You talk Herman Marquez would have been good. Uh, Brewers have some guys, Brandon Woodruff. You talk about a rotation. If you could get uh, Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns on the New York Mets and. Because I think they have the prospects when you talk about Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, and Mark Vientos and you know other pieces as well in the pitching staff. Maybe throwing David Peterson or, or other guys as well. You get that guy. You're talking about a rotation that is fantastic. I get it. The Yankees have a great rotation. I don't think right now the New York Yankees have the number one rotation in baseball. I still think it's the New, York, New York Mets. But you add Woodruff or Corbin Burns to that. You're talking about a team that if they don't win the World Series this year or next year, I don't know what to say. That's just a disgrace because you have the pitching, you have the hitting. Honestly, I'm still looking for a question mark on this Mets roster. Catcher, I guess you could say, hitting-wise, defense is pretty solid there. First base, good. Second base, good. Shortstop, good. Third base, good. Your center fielder good. You got Marte in the one position. You got Mark Canna in the other position. Your DH, I guess you could say is a question mark, but you don't really need a DH. You can rotate guys. DH left and right, I guess, would say what you would say is the weakest, mm-hmm. um, including catcher, which I guess is four or five positions, but we say weak, yet they still got good quality starters that Good. Um, Moving on. First, is there anything you'd like to say about the New York Mets? And then if not, we can move on to the uh, to the New York Yankees.
1: I think the Mets just really like we talked about, they're in a winner go home situation with everybody. They're pay- dishing out in the next couple of years, I think. Mets, they're making the subway series a thing, though. They've they brought that they brought the series between the Yankees and the Mets back alive. That I think it's going to be some great competition between two teams that are going to run their uh, run their leagues.
0: Yeah, uh, today it was announced Aaron Judge is captain of the New York Yankees. He had his press conference pretty much when we were doing this uh, interview. And it's not a surprise. I'm not disappointed. I'm not excited. It kind of was just like, okay, he's captain, no big deal. Even though being a captain of the Yankees is a huge deal, everybody kind of expected it. Uh, You look at this Yankees team, catcher Jose Trevino, Kyle Higashioka, solid. I don't think they're going to make any moves at catcher. Uh, first base is Anthony Rizzo, not going to make any moves, maybe add some depth pieces. you got Jake Bowers in the minors who could play first base. Cabrera has played first base in the past. DJ LeMay, who has played first base in the past. Um, Now let's go right field is obviously Aaron Judge. The DH is obviously Giancarlo Stanton. The center fielder is obviously Harrison Bader. Then you talk about pieces. Now this is where the question marks come to to hand for the New York Yankees. Second base, shortstop, third base, left field. That's where all the question mark is. First, we'll go to the, I guess, least amount of question marks position, which would be third base. Um, Donaldson, it seems like Donaldson's going to be the guy. They've tried to trade him. Basically, nothing's going to happen. Donaldson is pretty much a terrible hitter, okay (laughs) defender, and he'll be with the Yankees for next season. Uh, as you can see, I'm not a huge fan of Donaldson at all. Second base, shortstop, second base is could be Glaber Torres as of now. Could be DJ Lemayu if they trade Torres and DJ's healthy. I'm not too hot on DJ Lemayu being healthy for this season. Mm-hmm, I don't think he'll fair. be healthy at the first for like the first week or two of the season. Uh therefore they might keep Glaber Torres. However, this is what I would do. I was a general manager meaning Brian Cashman. Um, talking middle infield, I'm starting Volpe and Peraza at shortstop and second base. I'm gonna try to trade Josh Donaldson and probably put Oswaldo Cabrera at third base or IKF at third base, but I don't think that's gonna happen because Donaldson, like we like I mentioned, probably not a tradable um guy to pick up. So stuck with Donaldson. I trade Torres uh and start Peraza and Volpe and uh see what I can do there. Then you talk left fields. Um left fields. You have options right now and your options are Esteban Florial and um Oswaldo Cabrera because Aaron Hicks is most likely hurt for the beginning of the season. Um those are okay options. I don't want Cabrera playing left field. I think he's better as a Ben Zobrist type of player. Uh Florial has had not many chances. I don't think he's I don't think he's the right fit. I think it's time to trade him. I think it's the same thing with Miguel Andujar. You had these players in the minor leagues for so long and they kind of just lost their luster. Um I look at two guys in particular. You lose Ben Five years, seventy-five million dollars. I get it. You don't want to go with the five years. Comple- completely understandable. I I completely understand it. You got guys like Jason Dominguez, um, Everson Pereira in the minor leagues that you want to play at those positions, uh, sooner rather than later. I think Pereira will be up next year. Um, I'm not sure about this year. It could be at the end. Uh, Dominguez probably won't be ready till 2024 in the middle of the season. Huge fan of Dominguez in my opinion. Um, I think you re-sign Bader for a two- or three-year contract, Um, hopefully. But left field, you call it the Diamondbacks. Um, Pirates, Brian Reynolds, he's going to cost too much. I already know what they're asking for. They're asking for an arm and a leg, and we don't have that type of um mojo to go out there and get Reynolds. Get a guy from the Diamondbacks. There's Dalton Varsho out there, catcher slash left fielder. Solid player. I'm not a huge fan of him. I think he's kind of one of those guys who's like a one-hit wonder who'll have a good season, he'll have a bad season, kind of eh, not a fan. Um, You look at their prospects, though. Huge fan of Alec Thomas. He's a center fielder, could move over to left field at Yankee Stadium. He's 5'11", 180, 190, left-handed hitter. Probably bottom-of-the-order bat, but he's a good defender. That's a guy I'd look at. He was a top prospect in the Diamonds organization. Huge fan of him. Also, I'm more of a fan of this guy uh, because you're looking at a left fielder, but I like Thomas, Jake McCarthy. You're talking about a left-handed bat who's a slasher, who can run the bases. And when you're talking about this New York Yankees team, they need a guy with speed. I don't think I can come up with a single player right now on this Yankees roster that is fast if you're saying that Gleyber Torres is playing second base. And you have IKF playing shortstop because nobody on this entire roster is fast. Bader, I guess you can say, is fast, but that is it. You need to have more speed on the base paths. You need to have more contact hitting. McCarthy does that. Huge fan of McCarthy. Go trade for that guy. Bring him to the Yankees. Bring him to the Bronx. Let's go. Come on. Time to start now. What do you think the uh, Yankees should do? And my thoughts kind of on the, um, I guess you'd say, the batting order slash lineup.
1: Yeah. I don't know. that's the problem. and like this is a question, and I, and I know it's not a very logical answer, but I, I i I'm stuck because I want pitching. That is what I want. as a Yankees fan, I think pitching, although we have a strong rotation, I would like a little bit more relief pitching, just okay not starting pitching because our rotation is strong, but our relief pitching, I would like a little stronger relief pitching, and that's where that's where baseball's one Over So I would like to go get a a couple more relief pitchers. However, I think we got enough to fill a hole in left field right now. I personally, this, uh, it's a question of, I like, see the left field position, the infield I have in my head is IKF and Torres and that that's my those are my two middle infielders those are Torres at second IKF at short and I and people question me on it all the time and I think that's where because we have money in them and I think that's where your two guys are that's my middle infield but the left field is where I keep running into question marks because I just don't know we're gonna have to go get somebody and I think the guy you go get is the diamond is anybody from the diamondbacks because I think they're gonna go sell off a decent amount of their team for this upcoming year. So I agree with you in that regard, Derek. However, I'm just left questioning at the end of the day, do we have enough cash flow to get relief pitching and then to go get a left fielder? What are your thoughts?
0: Um, Here's what I'll say. The guys that I mentioned, Varsha, McCarthy, Thomas, they're all young players. So it's not like it's going to hurt our cap necessarily yeah, because fair. they're all on their rookie deals. However, you talk relief pitching, I think we're okay at relief pitching. I think the mm-hmm. biggest thing for us is is Michael King healthy. If Michael mm-hmm. King is healthy, I'm okay with our relief pitching, but I looked at this earlier um about a week ago. I looked at free agents cuz I'm a huge I'm a huge baseball guy. I love free agents, love free agency, love players, just all that. And the relief pitching market, there's so many guys that I would say, okay, he's fine. You can get him for a couple mil. Um, Zach Britton is out there. I'm, I personally would not re-sign him, We're personally, bringing him back. Would, personally not re-sign him, but they can. Will Smith is out there. Um, There's so many guys that are out there. Personally, the guy who I would go after, and I think you could get him for $1 million. So if you're talking about cash flow, this is a guy. Alex Reyes um, was a starting pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, became a reliever. I get it. He's had Tommy John. I get it. He's had injuries, but you're talking about $1 million for a guy who can throw a hundred miles per hour and possibly be that at that back end of the back end of the bullpen. I like that. I think you're talking about relief pitching. I don't think, I think you need to spend some money in there. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think there's so many options out there where I don't think you want to jump the gun and say, okay, let's get Will Smith. Let's get, Chapman. I don't want Chapman. That's just not happening. That's just stupid, but get out and jump the gun and go after these guys. Kind of let the market settle a little bit and then get the relief pitching that you need. Um, You say starting pitching is good. I agree to a certain extent. I still have question marks. Cole is going to be there. I think Cole is pretty much the ace. Rodon, I'm not a huge fan of Cole, but I think he's there and he'll be fine. Uh, Rodon has been hurt. He hasn't thrown 170 innings in a while. Cortez is playing in the WBC, and he's also not thrown a lot of innings, 150, 160, around there. Severino is coming back from an injury, and Montas is coming back from an injury. This is where you talk and I say, okay, so with all that said, Herman Schmidt, that's your 6'7 right now. I think in the middle or at some point, if you have five or six days in a row, you do use that sixth starter. You put Domingo Herman or Clark Schmidt in that role. Um, there's other guys in the minors. Luis Heal could be coming back. Uh, Davy Garcia is the biggest question mark um, on the face of the earth right now. But I said this if they didn't get Rodon, but they got Rodon. And I could see this trade happening if you're talking about Peraza and Volpe both be being, both be being back and let's say Rodon, or you have injuries in the starting rotation, you make a trade, you call the um, Miami Marlins. Pablo Lopez, if he's still there. Gleyber Torres, and let's say you have starting pitching, but you want that guy at the top of the rotation. Um, Torres. Luis Gil. Davey Garcia for Pablo Lopez. You can say that, hey, three for one, and you're giving up. Davey Garcia, Luis Heel for that, and Gleyber Torres. But in my opinion, I think I think it's a deal the Marlins would accept. I think you're giving up a little bit too much, but you got to give up some to get some. That's a deal I love. Um, I don't know. I just there's so many prospects in the Yankees organization. Agreed. That they can trade, and I think they're valuable. Um, Estevan Florial, if I'm a team that you just want a gap to fill like the Cincinnati Reds or one of the, or the Colorado Rockies you need gaps to fill and you want someone to get get a chance that's a guy i think the i think what the Diamondbacks are doing with their outfield is they have like eight outfielders 8 to 10 outfielders on their 40 man roster where they're just trying to trade them get prospects get pitching get infielders so i don't think that the price for a McCarthy is going to be that high um, the only thing I worry about though is the Houston Astros re-signed Michael Brantley and the Astros were in on Varsho, which means that the market for the dimebacks prospect wise is gonna be higher um in terms of that because they're probably only only gonna be trading one or two guys. That would be my question. But I completely yeah. agree on the bullpen, but I think you wait you wait that market out based on the fact that there's so many arms out there, but I would jump the gun on Alex Reyes. I'd give him a year. Um, I'd probably give him like two or three years, a yeah. million dollars a year, just because I think the Cardinals DFA'd him because of the money. He was going to mm. be owed $2 million. That's nothing. And if I and if I see this guy and if he stays healthy, he's worth a lot more than $2 million. They were so concerned about the injury that they didn't want to keep him on the forty-man roster for that reason. Um, but I'm interested to know what are the Yankees going to be doing because you have Canley, who is not on the roster, who you just signed. You also have uh, who did they, who else did they sign? They got Enrodon, Canley, and Rodon. Your roster right now is maxed at forty. You're gonna have to get rid of guys. So. Is a trade coming out? I don't – this is just reporting news. Is there a trade coming out? Are you going to release somebody? I think if you were to release someone or DFA or something, I think Estevan Florial has to be a guy out the door Um, just because I don't know who else you're going to get rid of. I would have said Efros to the 40-day 40, uh, 40 IL because he's going to be out for the season, but you can't do that in the uh, – you can't do that in the middle of the um, off season. But I think that's kind of the biggest question mark. And then obviously they added guys on the 40 men roster who could leave as well. So that's that's kind of the biggest question mark, though, for the Yankees.
1: Agreed 100%. I think there's a lot of question marks for the Yankees about the level of depth you got and what's going to come of it. I, I think it's interesting. I think Yankees are going to get one more big sign. But up until then, I'll be interested to see what Cashman works out.
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we'll be content with what the Yankees do. Um, obviously NFL season almost ending. We'll see what happens there at Nerd Dame football. We'll see if they make a, uh, you know, transfer target. We'll see how the transfer portal works itself out. Uh, Thank you for joining me on episode 24 of Derek's discussion discussions. Uh, Jacob, do you have any last words for our listeners out there?
1: No, thank you so much. Enjoy watching some great sports. There's going to be some great games coming out for any league that you're following. So we'll go watch those, but I can't thank, uh, Derek enough for having me. I appreciate coming on and be able to talk a little Notre Dame football, a little MLB and a little uh Super Bowl contender picks.